Hello, and thanks for streaming The Near Futurist, a show presented by me, Guy Clapperton. This is a fortnightly look at the technologies that are going to affect our lives in, wait for it, the near future. Now, I've been talking to my accountant about my media training business and the shape it's going to take when we're all face to face again. Specifically, I've been looking into what to do about working in the EU. Should I register somewhere there or carry on just working from the UK, where I actually live? My guest this week has been a bit creative about that. She founded her own company, Vistelworks, in 2018 with the aim of keeping online shoppers safe from criminal sellers and illicit trade, and we will talk about that. But what caught my eye in particular this time was that she decided to join the Estonian e-residency programme in 2019. That meant she could run her business from that country, and within the European market of course, post-Brexit, while still residing in the UK. She did so through obtaining digital residency in the Baltic nation. Since then, Vestalworks has gone fully remote, and the company takes a cross-border approach to doing business. Her name is Vicky Brock. Vicky, welcome. Thank you. First, perhaps you could uh, tell me a little bit about uh, Vestalworks itself. Yeah, Vistelworks is a tech company. We have software that risk profiles online sellers, looking at whether they have organized crime behind them, whether they are selling smuggled, illegal, untested products. And we provide intelligence services to governments, to public sector agencies and to law enforcement. How much of a risk of fraud actually is out there? Because I keep hearing there's all these terrible risks and uh, then you never read about many people being caught. I suppose most uh, companies, if they've been defrauded, they don't necessarily want to publicize it. Exactly. There's two sides to that. I mean, cybercrime as a business and as an individual, cybercrime is the most likely type of crime you will be a victim of, whether that's kind of payments fraud, whether that's a scam, or whether that's buying stuff that never arrives or turns out to be a completely dodgy product. An illicit trade, that kind of illegal selling is actually like a 2.2 trillion dollar a year problem it is absolutely huge but you're right you don't hear that many people being prosecuted for it and actually the legislation and the approach is really kind of behind our buying behavior the criminals are really good and this is organized crime it's not the odd random seller they are very very good at what they do they're really good at finding loopholes and you know, one of the biggest loopholes of all is jurisdiction and borders and they are way way better than enforcement agencies and regulators at keeping up with that I suppose legislation's always had uh, difficulty keeping up with technology, which moves so quickly. So what can people do about this? I mean, is it a matter of just buying from the safe people? Because if you only buy things online from, say, Amazon, let's just use the obvious example, then you're actually excluding an awful lot of smaller businesses, uh, beginning businesses, all that sort of thing. Yeah. And one of the challenges is that unless you are buying something that is sold directly by an online platform, as in they bought the stock, they dispatched the stock, then you're actually buying from a third party seller who could be anywhere in the world. And your deal when you buy from an online platform is it's the seller has to self-regulate that they're selling something legal and you as the buyer have to be where. 
it's actually really, really difficult to shop confidently online if you're not buying from the major retailer or manufacturer because there are all these layers of third-party sellers, many of whom are legal, legitimate businesses, but some of whom are fronts for organized crime who are essentially laundering money and stock across the world. Uh, and it's very difficult to know if what you think you're seeing is the reality. So, I mean, you'll see on major platforms, and I, and I, you, know, you, you named Amazon, I won't, but you know, there's two or three major platforms like that that will probably spring to everybody's mind. Sellers on those will go to an awful lot of trouble to pretend to be something they're not. A seller based in China will do a lot of things on their listing to visually trick you into making it seem that they're like that they're in the UK. They'll stick flags on things. They'll put made up type marks and certifications that don't exist. And they'll do everything they can to apply things that make a buyer in a hurry, just take shortcuts in assuming you know, what they're expecting is what they're getting. And that's where the problems come. I mean, we're, we're solving it from a very big data and tech perspective. But as a shopper, I think the best thing you can possibly do is slow down, be paranoid and apply every bit of suspicion that you can possibly throw at something. Just don't shop in a hurry or drunk. And I should just stress, by the way, in case there are any lawyers listening, I did mention Amazon purely as an example of a known safe place to buy things, uh, just in case any uh, very greedy lawyers are listening. Obviously, I'm interested in the future of work and particularly this e-residency program that you've uh, become involved in. Can I ask how you became involved in it in the first place? Yeah, I was very worried that my business world was going to be significantly disrupted post-Brexit. You talk about the future of work. I'm always horizon scanning. And the thing that I hate the most is the things that I can control the least, which is externalities, particularly politics, state, wars, plagues, all of these kind of things. Like the, the stuff that your nightmares are made of because there's very little you can do about them beyond react. And I kind of felt Brexit was one of those in that it, it was a threat to me doing business in the way that I knew how to do it. So right at the beginning of this company, I was very aware that my world might change in ways I didn't understand. So I felt that I was building technology to solve a cross-border problem. Why didn't I build a company that leveraged all of the things actually essentially that the criminals are really good at understanding is, hey, you know, we don't have to be in the jurisdiction that we're operating in. We don't have to be all of these places. And I really kind of went shopping to look at, is there anywhere is there anywhere legitimate? Is there anywhere not dogs dodgy, that's not a tax haven, that's not corrupt, that actually is trying to solve the problem I fear that I might encounter, which is the, you know, the, the world in which I'm used to being in might be different in a way I am yet not yet able to understand. And I came across Estonia and I came across e-residency 
And it seemed a little bit too good to be true, which was the thing that did, you, know, you can probably tell I'm paranoid. It seemed a little bit too good to be true. Uh, and it wasn't actually till I physically came here that I was relieved to find it wasn't a horrible trick. But it offered me the way to build a legal framework for myself as an individual and for my company in a country that I wasn't in with a robust and legal tax framework um, and a robust and legal way that my other business interests and my other personal interests could still coexist. One thing that I would like to press a little harder on is you said you went shopping for this and then you came across Estonia. Um, mm. I can't help feeling it was probably a bit harder work. Uh, could you take it, talk us through the process? Where did you start looking? How did you actually find this uh, particular uh, scheme? I started looking with the languages I spoke and the countries I'd visited. And Estonia wasn't one of those. I don't speak Estonian well, I'm starting to, and I'd never been here. So I started the process of, by the slow way, really, what does France offer entrepreneurs? What does Germany offer entrepreneurs? What about Iceland? That would be cool. You know, I kind of went to places that I'd heard of or I spoke the language. And then in the process of starting to look through this, just searching around, I came across Estonian e-residency and I, I dived into it. And it's actually the first kind of, the first step is extremely affordable, especially compared to some of the countries I looked at. And I almost felt I'm going to spend this, I can't remember what it was, but I'm going to spend this 80 or 100 euros doing this thing almost as a test to kind of figure out whether this could work. Because on the scale of things, compared to forming a company in Ireland or in Germany, this seems extremely low risk and low touch. So I dipped my toe in and took it from there. So how do you then go about uh, setting up a, a, a company based around an e-residency, but you, particularly when you're physically absent from somewhere? It, it just sounds an entirely new world to me. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the core behind it is every aspect of your citizenship, whether that's you as an individual or you as a corporate entity. And I think when you own a business in the UK, you become used to yourself being, as a director, and you become used to yourself being both a business entity and a personal entity in terms of how you interact with HMRC and the various bodies. All that is encapsulated in Estonia under a single personal ID number and a single card, either your e-residency card or your physical residency card if you're living in the country. And that opens up all the services. So by becoming an e-resident, you've basically got a national insurance number on steroids. <laughs> it's kind of like your national insurance number. A lot of these things bundled up together. And that, that, that means that you can access all of these digital services. So then you can get into the company's portal to set up your company. You can get into the tax portal to register for tax. Uh, and it's just very, very straightforward. But actually, the thing that nailed it for me is that I had to go and collect my blue 
e-residency smart card that just you know slots into my computer from the consul Estonian consulate building in London and I, I had to go from Glasgow down to London to collect it and uh, when I got my card they said to me thank you for choosing Estonia and honestly they had me at that point it could have gotten really complicated and expensive after that but I was just so happy somebody was happy that I chose the country that I was really um really enthused and it's been the start of a very productive relationship it allowed me to register so we still have Pistolworks UK is a you know it's a legal entity it has employees it pays tax it you know it is a UK operating company but I've also got Pistolworks Estonia which is my EU operating country and that was really important because as we went into the Brexit process, a lot of our target market, which is EU agencies, national law enforcement agencies, national governments, could no longer buy from the UK company. So the fact that the Estonian entity existed and operated under EU law was actually really, really important for our ability to deal with our target market effectively and in a reassuring way. Do you want to sound as confident as my interviewee in this episode? If you talk to the press or other media, are you worried you'll be misquoted, or they'll just publish their story and not yours? Clapperton Media Associates can help with coaching. Drop me a note, guy at clapperton.co.uk, and we'll arrange a time for an exploratory call. Now, back to the podcast. This is all making an awful lot of sense the way you uh, explain it. If I were a private client, I might take a look at this and think, it sounds a bit like a dodge. I'm sure it's not a dodge. I'm not suggesting that for a moment, but how do you communicate that to your clients so they have confidence, particularly given the field in which you operate? It's not a dodge. I should definitely stress that. Corporation no, I, I, tax, I, I, yeah. Not Corporations, yeah, no, no, no. But it, it was my first concern. You know, it, it was one of the things that I was looking at really carefully before deciding where we were going to base ourselves was rule of law. I mean, absolutely rule of law, amount of corruption, the amount of cronyism in a country, security risk, all of that kind of thing. I mean, actually, Estonia has the EU cybersecurity unit headquartered here. It's NATO, I think, big NATO headquarters here. So actually, to other EU governments, it's quite a clear and well-known pioneer in terms of digital government. So I haven't actually had the need to reassure our client base that there's anything risky in what we're doing. What I have needed to reassure is everybody in the UK, my friends, family and peers, that I have not like sold my soul to the dark side and become tax avoider. Corporation tax is 20%. So anything that's, you know, we pay on the EU company, we pay corporation tax at 20%, same as we do on the UK company. Uh, and when you employ somebody, you pay 33% of their salary every year in terms of taxes, which covers all the social costs, pay as you earn, all of that kind of thing. So it's broadly comparable in a lot of ways with the UK. It really for us was a 
preemptive plan for if everything went worst case scenario and we couldn't trade anymore, we actually had a plan B, not just a acceptable plan B, but a really deliberate, well-chosen plan B. And it was really only probably in the last six months of last year that I started to ratchet up, A, coming here more, and B, thinking about how we built the Estonian company for a while. It was something that was you there. Saying coming here more and uh, referring to here. Sorry, it's not ah. immediately apparent where you are. I'm um, in Tallinn. So- <laughs> I'm actually in Estonia. Right. Um, <laughs> Because I came here when the restrictions in the UK eased, the travel restrictions eased, and then all the flights were cancelled and the travel restrictions cranked back up again. So I haven't actually been able to get back to the UK. And so I've actually been able to put all of this into practice. (laughs) Okay, uh, you know, I'm here with hand luggage only in a completely different country. Wherever I like my toothbrush, that's my home. I always say that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I brought my good toothbrush. I bought my electric toothbrush, so everything. Oh, you 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 have a toothbrush for best. Now, now I am impressed. This is this is the (laughs) high life. Um, Getting back to um, the business, though, this is obviously tied to Brexit, and you've made no bones about that. Fair enough. How concerned are you that this might appear political, particularly some pro-Brexit clients might actually back away from a partner who's registered in the EU? Is that a concern to you at all? Well, our clients are governments, law enforcement agencies, EU agencies, and industry and state bodies. So the UK company exists, it has investment in it, you know, it has its own strategy. And it's it's almost like I feel if you wanted to take a pro-Brexit view of it, in a way, we've kind of done, you know, we've separated the two things. The UK company deals with the UK. The EU company deals with the EU. We have agreements between us, obviously, founding team in common. But we are increasingly running those businesses on quite divergent market strategies. Now, it it could well be that the UK company is absolutely the best company to the best one of the entities to develop working relationships with Singapore, with Southeast Asia. And it could be that the EU-based company develops a separate set of trading relationships. I honestly don't think it matters too much. The, the main kind of headache for me is always understanding and being deliberate about where we're trading, where we have a permanent presence, because those things, if we get that wrong, has really big, scary tax and regulation implications. We need to be really, really careful. And if we've, and I'm not the only person that's stuck in a country where I don't live. You know, I've had uh, other team members stuck who went home for just before Christmas and haven't been able to get back. You know, and, and I'm really glad that they're going to be able to get back to the UK really soon because I would be worried if they were doing business in a country that's not on our plan for too long, because that could open us up to corporation tax and, and uh, staff taxation implications. I mean, how are you going to handle expansion? Are you planning any physical presence in any of the other territories, or is uh, Estonia it for you as far as the EU is concerned? I kind of have got a bit of a appetite for and have seen the benefits of being able to jump into a place with both feet 
<laughs> and really get absorbed in that. I, I feel that by having taken what is actually quite, I guess, an international mindset from the beginning, we've thought about how we've developed the technology in a very multi-language, multi-locality, multi-market way from the beginning to the point that we actually built a whole new piece of the product in Lithuanian first, because we were working with the Lithuanian government state consumer protection agency. And even though most of my team are English speakers, we do have one or two Lithuanian speakers in the team. We actually built that in Lithuanian first and it didn't even feel weird. It felt like a really natural thing to do because we'd got a good strong relationship with a stakeholder and a partner in that market. Why on earth wouldn't we build it in Lithuanian? And I kind of feel like if you can build something in Lithuanian first, you can really build it in, you know, Korean or any other kind of locality that makes sense. So it, I think it really has changed all of our mindsets. And we've become a little bit more mindful about making time zones work for calls and being specific about what time zone we're talking about when we set up a call and kind of bits and pieces like that. Um, and I think it's benefited of us all, actually. I'd certainly really welcome the opportunity to be able to make it possible for people wherever they were headquartered to be able to work somewhere else in the world if they want to. It's just unfortunately on the whole the visa situation, the tax situation, the legislation situation means that's really, really difficult. Whereas Estonia kind of both with e-residency and I think its latest visa is digital nomad where you kind of really aren't tied to a place at all. They've just taken what I think is a very futuristic approach to it. Well, very near futuristic as well. Of course, it's not uh, decades away. It's, it's, it's mm. essential now. Um, so finally, could you give us an idea where people can find out more about yourself and uh, what you do? Yes, you can check us out at vistalworks.com or .eu. Find me on Twitter, Brock Vicky. And yes, I'd be very happy to connect and tell people more and also extol the virtues of Estonia because I may be here by accident, but I'm very glad I am. Excellent. Well, I'm glad you're comfortable. That's great. Uh, Vicky Brock of Vistal Works, thank you very much for joining me. And many thanks to you for listening. That was the Near Futurist podcast with me, Guy Clapperton. Don't forget to have a look at the website at nearfuturist.co.uk or my media training site at remotemediatraining.com. I'll be back in two weeks' time. Mm.